0: This is Andrew from Auto Off Topic. The coloring contest is back, and now it's been improved thanks to Frank Eck. The contest is simple. Complete one of the pages in any of three mediums. This includes electronic using any of the paint type programs, color pencil, marker, and or crayon, with one entry counted per medium per person. So each individual can have a total of three entries. There will also be two age groups, age 15 and below, and 16 on up. Links to the Coloring Book pages can be found on our Facebook page or the page for the Coloring Book Contest. Facebook.com forward slash AOTP contest 2017. Electronic entries, including scanned entries, can be sent to us via email, autoftopic at gmail.com. Paper copies can be sent by snail mail to Autoftopic Topic Podcast, P.O. Box 35, Georgetown, Mass. 01833. Note. All hard copies received will not be returned, period. The contest runs through November 30th. The companies and owners groups donating prizes are Mitsubishi Motors North America, Adventure Driven Design, Forest Performance, Palladian Trucks, Northeast Mitsubishi 4x4, Mits- Mitsubishi Montero Owners Group USA, Florida Mitsubishi 4x4, and Mitsu Nation. All right, on to the show.
1: I got it on my phone. I got back right. up here. We're good to go. Alright, no problem. So we're ready to start recording this wonderful episode, Andrew, so we can uh welcome all of our listeners to episode forty three of Auto Off Topic. Nope, forty two. You wrote forty three in the show notes. Oh, you picked up the wrong one. This is the one you sent me today. Yeah, well that's the um Uh that's the second well, one. I've got
2: forty two in mine. Yeah, that's so the second one. Brad's looking uh
1: the wrong one. sons of all right. Here, I'll start over. <laughs> Welcome to episode 42 of Auto Off Topic. Right. Come back later for episode
0: 43. When did Uh, you send that one to me, Andrew? uh, Probably a Monday. That's okay. So Brad is our other host tonight.
1: I am, as always. And
0: we've got... Wrong, as always, as well. We've got a guest tonight, uh, Josh Mead, and some of you may know him from the internets as Incorporated X. Yes. And we'll get into that. Um, How are you doing, Josh?
2: I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking.
0: Cool. Um, Well... Before we get too deep, you probably heard our new intro music, and uh, I want to thank our friends Z28, the band, for letting us use the title track from their digital album Z28 as our new theme song. Brad and I actually went to one of their live shows Friday night. That was
1: a really, Uh, really good One
0: of our close, close friends is the bassist, uh, and he actually suggested that we should ask them to use one of their songs. Yes. And they graciously let us. So, well, it only
1: uh, makes sense because the band's name is Z28, yeah. and the title track is about a car. Yeah. So it just fits in perfectly. So I'll post links to the band
0: in our show notes and uh, to the Facebook page. You can listen to them on Bandcamp, and you should like their Facebook page uh, for show information. I believe on Facebook, it is under Nobody Rides for Free, Z28.
1: Um, Okay. I'll double check that. Yeah, I'll double check that. I check it now, but my computer's not working. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you can pull it up on your Facebook if you want. Yeah, but then I
1: know. lose the thing on my phone, and it's a whole thing. Anyway,
0: so. I'm I'm 99 sure that's what it is. It's not under Z28. If you search Z28 band on yep. Facebook, it will come up. But I believe yep. their little username is nobody rides for free. So. Right,
1: and you just search Z28, and he comes up with lots of Camaro stuff. Yes. So, yeah, right. But anyway, yeah. So definitely like them. They're a good band if you like. Like Southern California, like heavy stoner rock. Yeah. That's kind of their, like, like a little bit of Caius or a heavier version, like Fu Manchu. Exactly. It's a, they're pretty cool, pretty cool band.
0: So Josh, uh, you are one of the co-founders and owners of Adventure Driven Design. And before we get too much into what Adventure Driven Design is and what you guys do and the vehicles you support, um, we thought we'd get to know Josh some more. So we're going to start sort of from the beginning, right? So I guess we'll, we'll ask you our first question. We'll get right into it. And it was, how did you get into cars, trucks, or bikes, Josh?
2: Well, uh, I grew up out in the country. I uh, grew up in a log cabin near the uh, west coast of Michigan. And my brother, who's a year younger than I, we uh, love the outdoors and exploring, And out in the country, you know, the quickest way to get around for young kids is either a bicycle or a dirt bike. And my father brought home a uh, 175 two-stroke Yamaha Enduro when we were kids. And that was how we got around a lot when we were kids. And that was, you know, sort of what we learned a little bit of how the uh, internal combustion engine worked. I love that bike. I actually wish I still had it. But we rode all over the place on that thing, spent a lot of our days out in the woods and when I was a kid, I had no idea what racing or modified cars were about. I knew that my dad was into cars when he was younger, but all that stuff had like been replaced with farm equipment and diesel trucks by the time I was around. And it wasn't until I was like 13 or 14 that I started to get any interest at all in cars. And that was just because my best friend at the time was really into cars. And his dad was a big Mopar fan. He had a... Um, uh, Dodge Caravan that he had converted to rear wheel drive and dropped a 440 big block into. It was a <laughs> amazing. really creative, really well executed vehicle. Like looking back on it, uh, I'm even more impressed now having gone through, you know, doing random builds and custom builds and stuff and knowing that he had built that thing in his garage. But he used to take it to classic car shows and swap meets and stuff. And I was invited along all the time. And it really didn't take me long at all to get hooked on modified cars. I really only was interested in domestic cars and muscle cars when i was young but that was just because i was always exposed to that's,
1: that's very similar yeah, to us it's yeah, yeah. a common common theme with a lot of people in our age bracket because you're yeah. right around the same age as us yeah and you know our our, fa- our parents or people who got us into it were muscle car guys because that's what you had
2: oh yeah i mean michigan you're you're just yeah. knee deep in muscle yeah. cars D- all the time D-
1: detroit yeah
2: yep yep <laughs> Yeah,
1: I've always wanted to get out to Michigan to that Woodward Dream Cruise just one time, just to say I did it. You know, one of those car guy things.
2: Yeah, that you know? van's been to that cruise a few times.
1: Uh, pro- probably has. Seems like something that would fit in there very well. Was it an early <laughs> like boxy style
2: minivan? Oh yeah, yeah, the uh, quad headlight, total boxy style, awesome. like a Dr Pepper uh, maroon kind of color. Yeah, it was the apparent- match- with is- the matching
1: interior? <laughs> nice. <laughs>
2: It actually had uh, four racing buckets in it, and the slider door still worked. He had the uh, entire rear of the van converted to a panel van style, so that from the outside it only had, you know, the driver's and passenger window. Um, it had a narrowed nine and a half or four nine-inch rear end with like twenty-nine and a half-inch slicks on the back of it. So looking from the back, it just looked like a full-on drag car, you know, That's parachute, awesome. wheelie bars, everything. Oh,
1: it's full done, full done. Yeah, it's cool. That
2: sounds really <laughs> cool.
1: Was was the color of the van an inspiration for uh, your van, Ron Burgundy?
2: no that just looked <laughs> out that way but uh definitely drew me in when i when i saw that van i was like "Oh, i love that color
1: yeah absolutely that's cool i wish i wish i had seen the this uh, caravan That's pretty awesome
2: there's pictures i think on my instagram somewhere i'll throw another one up uh after I, we get done with this interview just so it's floating around out there so people aren't like hey what's that uh what was that van about
1: yeah I, yeah I can kind of picture it in my head but yeah. i want it to be as cool as it really is you know what i mean that's, that's, <laughs> that's really cool that's pretty much that that's Probably of all the people we've had on, that's, like, the coolest, like, how I got into Car's story because nobody else was like, it was a full drag racing Dodge Caravan. <laughs> it was always like, oh, my dad worked at a car dealership or something similar to that yeah. story. You know, it was that, that's, that's a cool story. Um, so
0: as there is the theme to a lot of these old podcast episodes, the people we typically have on are into Mitsubishi's along with being into cars. So how did you end up landing on Mitsubishi's?
2: It was actually through that same friend. Um, you know, my, my best friend when I was a kid, growing up around him and his dad, him being heavily into Mopar, um, my friend when he was like 14 years old bought a 73 Dodge Duster with 318, and you know, it was like a police auction car. Um, he got it up and running, and it just seemed like, yep, we're headed in the muscle car direction. Like, that's just where we're going to go. Uh, it needed a lot of work, though. And by the time he got his driver's license, it was not roadworthy, and uh, so he had a uh, Dodge Rampage, which you know, like a little truck car, which is awesome. Uh, two, yeah, two point two liter Andrew hates truck machine. cars. I love truck cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a big fan of truck cars. Man, I love the versatility of them. Excellent. But he he got he was like the first one of us to get his driver's license, and. Uh, him and my brother and I would scrounge up all of our change and, and go to Hot Now, which is like a michigan based fast food spot that I think is like long since. I think there might still be like one location left because they used to have like 35-cent uh, cheeseburgers. Whoa. And yeah, it's <laughs> so like this is quite a ways back in the day. But I used to follow his lead a lot when we were younger because, you know, he knew he, he was just ingrained in the car culture since he was very, very young. So he was, in my mind, a few years ahead of me. And he got to learn, the, you know, the K-Car platform and, you know, what turbo variants they had. And he started to move in that direction. I thought, okay, I guess we're going to get into the 2.2 turbo engines. And uh, he came across a Plymouth Laser and took me out for a ride in it. And, like, as soon as the boost kicked in, it was over. I was done. I was hooked. You know, <laughs> yeah. And we popped the hood and started poking around. And I thought, man, this looks advanced. It looks complex. And, you know, then that's when I learned that Mitsubishi had manufactured the engine. And this was back when like, forums were just getting started, so information wasn't like readily available. Um, I ended up finding a clean Eclipse uh, GST down in Oklahoma, uh, first gen. And we took his laser and drove from Michigan all the way to Oklahoma, picked up the first gen, and then drove all the way back. Didn't sleep the entire way through, and I never looked back from that day forward.
1: So one, one Mitsubishi sold you on the entire company's worth of cars?
2: <laughs> yep pretty much this, this you is, know it was, this it was is kind of like sticking to what you know you know
1: yeah that's that's the same that happened to us i bought i bought that talon probably about the same era what what year did you buy that car
2: oh man it would have been like 98 99 2000 somewhere in there yeah because that's the
1: same i bought my talon right after graduating high school so it would have been 99 or 2000 yeah yeah um,
2: same same era for me
1: and uh that's kind of what hooked me and then subsequently andrew on Mitsubishi's as well yeah so we're all, we're all we're all on the same boat. It was that initial little tiny 14b spooling up that got us all hooked. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I remember because I remember the internet was, you know, there weren't a lot of forums when I got my car, so I didn't know how to maintain it either or do mm-hmm. anything with it. Uh, but I remember um, there was a guy who ran a website called the Talon Temple. I don't know if you remember that. No, I'm not familiar. Yeah, um, it's it was uh, just a super fan of these things mm-hmm. and. Uh, I don't remember much about it, but remember all my information came from there. So he, was pretty he, used in email him, he, he used to email back and forth with him over stupid little things, but yeah. there weren't any forums yet. No, yeah. But, yeah, that was, a, uh, that was where my information came from. So, yeah, so the so same era. But uh, how many DSMs have you owned since then?
2: Oh, God, I, I have no idea. Ah, excellent. Uh, it was. If I had to guess, I'd say Mitsu-wise somewhere in the 30 to 40. I probably own like 10 to 15 other you know, makes. I've had um, Subarus and Audis, Volkswagens, Volvo's, station wagons, of course, uh, Land Rovers, Toyotas, Ford, Chevy, Dodges. You know, that mostly filled the uh, hey, I'm gonna give this a try area. But I yep. always come back to the Mitsus.
1: Yeah, whenever I get back in the Mitsu, I'm like, yeah, this is home. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah,
2: this feels the, the, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the smell of a Gallant VR4 is something that no other vehicle has. The interior of a Gallant VR4 has a very unique smell, and I don't think I've ever smelled I, something about. I think the leather that they used on the seats it probably is. Yeah. It's,
1: it's our crack, I guess. <laughs> Gets us through the day. So yeah, <laughs> where did uh, where did the name Incorporated X come from? Is that a car related thing, or is that uh, something else?
2: Man, I'm not even sure. I created that. Somewhere along the line, it was just like uh, I I worked in corporate gigs. I had been, you know, trying to do my own thing, but, you know, trying to follow the money, go through college and get the corporate jobs and stuff. But it seemed like I was always a little too crass for the corporate areas. You know, like my commentary was always a little bit more rated X than what you want to have in an office kind oh, of okay. setting. Right. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah, so it was always like, you know, hey, I'm trying to be a suit, but there's no way I can actually pull yeah. that
1: off. Yeah, I, I don't fit in because I don't have a filter. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep, yep.
2: <laughs> that's cool. Yep. My mouth has gotten me in plenty of trouble over the years. Eh, that's you all know, of us, for sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep.
0: Um, what, so in general, like, what appeals to you most about just wrenching on cars as opposed to, you know, working a desk job or, I guess...
2: You know, I think it really satisfies my curiosity. The automotive industry is really complex, you know, from just innovations that are being made to the background of how the industry works. And no matter how well you understand something, there's always going to be something to learn. You know, there's companies that are always innovating, there's always new technology that can be retro- retrofitted into older vehicles. And I'm really into that. You know, Mitsubishi's think- like, pretty easy to use components from any generation and any model on any other model and any other generation. Yeah, there's a lot it's of compatibility, like, Yep, It's like playing with Legos, you know, like uh, my girlfriend Kim, she's got a 1975 Mitsubishi Galant wagon, and we're putting a 1991 Mitsubishi Mighty Max drivetrain into that. So it'll have fuel injection, air conditioning, power steering, you know, power brakes. Is that and 2.4? The,
1: the,
2: yeah, and the retrofit's not difficult at all. You know, the motor mounts are identical 30 years later.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of the bolt patterns stayed the same throughout most of the generations. And, and the ones that didn't, you know, there's, there's usually some way to find stuff to make it work. So. Well, was, did the block stay similar? No, it was different. Well, there's two blocks, two block designs.
2: Yeah, there was, there was only two different blocks. So, like yeah. when I put the 4G63 into uh, my 73 station wagon, it just bolted right up to the transmission. And granted, it was a KM119, so it was like the diameter of a pencil trying to hold up to 200 horsepower. Yeah, um, right. It, it just impressed me that, you know... 20 30 years of engineering changes, and you can still just bolt this modern turbo engine into this old, you know, gearbox. I ended up going to a KM132 later just to be on the safe side. But just the fact that the KM119 worked was pretty impressive to me.
1: Yeah, they work. They work for a while, not forever.
2: <laughs> yeah, mm. no third gear pulls in full boost. That's for sure. No, yeah.
1: I, I I plan on when I, when eventually I do wind up swapping my blue car, I plan on staying naturally aspirated and just go with the KM119 for simplicity. But that's, uh... Yeah, an
2: NA motor in one of those chassis is, you know, nice, simple, plenty of power, plenty of reliability. Yeah, it's you like, know, like three they... times the horsepower. <laughs> <So it's... laughs> yeah, I think the only reason I actually wanted the turbo motor in that was because no one had really done it yet. And I was like, you know what, I got to beat somebody to the punch because if I don't do this, somebody else is going to do this in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to have that, you know, be the first and everybody remembers you for it and it helps when you... Start to build your you know, company. mistakes and help other people learn. What was that, too? Yeah, but, <laughs> well, but get you, your name out there, too. So
0: Did uh, I think our other guest, Jeremy, was one of the first with the rear-wheel Drive 4G63? He had the 4G63
1: Mighty Max. Yeah. Yeah, back
2: yeah, in the late actually, 90s. I, I, I learned a lot from uh, the stuff that he had compiled while he was doing that. When I was doing my swap, his wiring diagram was what I used to wire the ECU up into that uh, Colt and, you know, just random little tiny bit of information when they um mitsu used the same ignition switch throughout most of the years yeah throughout the entire history of mitsubishi basically in the 70s though it was different there was only one circuit that was missing from it from like 1979 or 1980 or something and up it had a circuit that would give constant power during cranking so you could keep the ECU and the fuel pump powered. Well, in the 70s, they didn't do that. So I actually had to rework some stuff. So when I was looking through his, you know, wiring diagram, I'm like, man, why doesn't this make sense? And then I finally pulled up the uh, ignition switch and realized what was going on oh, there. Okay.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's good that Jeremy was pretty, uh, pretty thorough about documenting the build as he was doing it. Yep. He helped a lot of people build, uh, build those cars and trucks. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's real cool. We're connecting.
1: Connecting the world here. Yeah. The Tsubishi world. Most of our guests all know Jeremy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a small world.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a small ish enthusiast community for the entire car line, basically. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, it's funny. I went to a small little car meet last night in my hometown, um, right around the corner from my house. Yeah. And, there's people that were. I brought the 78 Colt and there's some people that were like, oh, "Man, where where do you find parts for these things?" It's like, <laughs> "Well, you kind of know everybody that's into them." Yep. You know, and by the end of the day, you wind up just, you know, people just give each other parts to keep these things on the road uh, pretty much essentially, so it's not oh, yeah. uh, it's not for difficult sure. once you're friendly and know everybody.
0: Yeah. No, and then like I think there's it's kind of a joke like how many how many Gallant VR4 owners now own Monteros? Yes. Oh
2: yeah. yeah there's pretty, so many. Well, there, there's even a thread on the, um, yeah. the glant forums. That's uh, the official Glant VR4 uh, Montero owners thread.
1: I, I went the other way around, though. I started with the Montero. Yeah. <laughs> so I I went I, I backed into that club backwards. only by a few months. Yeah, not by very long. Exactly. There's
0: gotta be like I think there's like ten or fifteen people.
1: Oh, yeah, or at least. Just that post on the forum. Well, I think that anybody who owns a Mitsubishi that's older than 20 years old, like the co- a, a t- older than 20-year-old Mitsubishi, usually has more than one. So, yeah. I mean, we just, we all get sucked into it somehow, so.
2: Yeah, I actually had gone down the Jeep road originally because, you know, after I got my first DSM, it was from Oklahoma and it was rust-free and I was like, oh, I don't want this thing to rust, you know, in, this, in the Michigan winters. And so I'm like, oh, I need I need something to drive through the snow up here and... I followed my friend's lead again, and he's, you know, he's a Chrysler fanatic, so he had a Jeep uh, Cherokee. So I picked up a Jeep Comanche, and it was a pretty cool little truck. But I snapped that rear Dana 35 pretty quick. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, and I moved into a Montero Sport, and then as soon as I figured out that the full-size Monteros had lockers, I went and you know that in the quad cam 3.5 liter, I immediately went over to one of those. That's cool. That's funny because I also had a Comanche for a short
1: period of time. <laughs> but I had the, uh, mine had the Dana 40, what's the next one, like 44?
2: Dana 44. Because yeah. I had
1: it was the uh, big ton package. So it, oh, was nice. a, it was a long bed with a, um, it was like a sort of half ton truck. <laughs> it had bigger <laughs> big, bigger axles and heavier duty springs. But, uh, yeah, but those trucks were like half, they were half unibody. Yeah, yeah so they were weird.
2: Yeah, it was a uh, half of your bed missing.
1: Uh, no. Due to rust? Nope, not <laughs> at all, actually. It was uh, the floors had been replaced by the previous owner, um, but okay. the bed was pretty nice. The doors were trashed and the fenders were trashed, but I had new doors and fenders for it. I actually sold it to a friend of the podcast who sold it on to somebody else, and neither one of us ever really put it together and drove it. I actually sold that truck to buy the Galant Vr4. That's mm. right. So that's Good choice. Yeah, well, you know, it is isn't. it isn't because the Galant's been broken ever since I bought it, so...
2: A broken Mitsubishi is better than a working Jeep any day.
1: That was a broken Jeep, too. So I <laughs> no. guess...
2: Insult to injury.
1: Yeah. I guess it... Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't broken as bad as the Mitsubishi was. And then when they sold it, unfortunately, it dropped a valve right after I sold it to the guy. It felt really bad, oh. but it was like... It was kind of like a... I bought the Galant, the glop blew up. He brought the Jeep, and the Jeep blew up. So it was kind of like a just a... a we're just trading crappy cars around uh, to, uh, to <laughs> one another, unfortunately. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, I did like that truck even when I never really got to drive it, and you know as much as I, we say Jeep is kind of a dirty word around here, but we don't. I don't hate
2: I don't hate them. I hate new Dude, ones. Dude, drive, drive, one, drive one across country one time, you'll hate them.
1: Okay, uh, I think,
2: <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know got... if
1: I I don't know if I'd love my Raider if I drove it across country either though.
2: You know I drove an '87 Montero from Los Angeles to Michigan, and I'd do it again any day. I drove a 2015 Jeep Wrangler from Phoenix to Michigan, and you couldn't pay me money to drive it across the state.
1: Hmm. That's interesting.
2: There's no, it's just so horribly designed. I mean, you know, they're, they're relying on the sales of their flagship vehicles like the Rubicons and things like that. Yep. And the anything below the Rubicon is pretty much just junk. Um, they ride terrible. Their interior space is extremely limited. The fit and finish of the 87 Montero, is leaps and bounds ahead of the 2015 Jeep Wrangler.
1: Yeah, I've always hated the interior designs in the Jeeps, too. They seem very um, thrown together. Like, there's not a lot of space. You're really cramped in there. It's very dark. I just never really liked the interiors of those either. So I, I can see why you said that now that you bring it up that way.
0: What year did your dad have,
1: Brad? 87. That was It was, was a, a first-year YJ Wrangler. But That
0: was the last of the AMC, or that was the AMC parts in a
1: Chrysler... It was, I don't remember. It had Ford parts and GM parts and AMC parts
2: off in the factory. That would have been inline six and Leaf Sprung, I think?
1: Yes, it was
2: inline seven. Yeah, so that might that have truck. been a little bit better of a vehicle to drive.
1: That was actually fun. It, was, it remind When I first bought the short wheelbase Montero, it reminded me of that truck. Because yes, I had the same real quick, you know, real small turning radius and... The same really bouncy because it's so short on the leaf springs that the rear bounces around a lot and the Jeep bounced around a lot. And yeah, it, it reminded me a lot of that. But yeah, I don't like the newer Jeeps. I'm, I'm okay with old Jeeps from like that era down, but new Jeeps I don't really do anything for me.
0: Yeah, I guess, with like classic one would be
1: pretty fun. Yeah, a CJ7 on down probably be ideal. But
0: at this point, you just import a Mitsubishi Jeep.
1: Yeah, that's true. From Sean, that was named Sean down in uh, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, he's got tons of them down there. So. Um, that would be pretty cool. That'd be very cool. Actually. What else you got, Andrew, for our lovely guest, Josh?
0: Well, from following Josh on the internet, uh, and you see his Instagram posts and stuff. He's very into travel and adventure. And I wanted to know how does that fit in with your cars and trucks? Does does that determine the kind of cars and trucks that you buy? Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, years back, it was never a thought. It was just, you know, what engines in it, how fast can it go? You know, what kind of fun can I have with it? Because back in the 2000s and stuff, I was interested in street racing and drag racing, autocrossing, rallycross, anything that was motorsports related that involved racing and, and beating up on the machine. But as time has gone on, travel and adventure has to, you know come to the forefront of what I really find to be fun. And I have one requirement now when I'm shopping for a car. I just have to be able to sleep in it, you know, comfortably. That's my only requirement.
1: That's a uh, good requirement for buying a house. Not something people usually uh, think about when buying a car, but that's uh, (laughs) definitely an interesting way to think about it. I get it, and Andrew Andrew and I have had that discussion before about the short-wheelbase versus long-wheelbase Raiders and Monteros. You know, I love my little short-wheelbase truck, but he's like, yeah, but I can sleep in mine. Uh, True. (laughs) You can do that. Well,
2: you know, short-wheelbase, all it needs is a rooftop tent, and it's good to go.
1: Yes, or you could be like our friend Eric, um, who has a rooftop who has tent. a rooftop tent, but doesn't like to use it when he goes wheeling. So actually, I went on a, a small wheeling trip with them two weekends ago, and uh, he just put a tent tent on his roof basket because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want the extra weight in the roof when he went uh, um, wheeling because oh. he felt top heavy. So oh, okay. that's Eric yeah. Corrales. I'm sure you know him from the from the yeah. Montero yeah, groups. Yeah, I've seen a
2: lot of his posts. Yeah, yeah. I went wheeling
1: with them a couple of weeks, a couple of weekends ago. Not in my truck, unfortunately. Not in my my Raider. In my big dump Silverado instead. So I gotta yeah, get, I, I got to get, get that Raider back Raider. in the mud. Yeah, it was buried yeah. pretty good. You, <laughs> buried isn't the uh, word. It was pulling through.
2: <laughs> I heard your uh, in the last podcast, you guys were going back and forth on swapping that uh, 2.6 turbo motor in and. You know, I I just I felt like oh man I have to chime in on that because all that is is four wires and a fuel pump and you're done. The hardest part's routing the intercooler piping and you're smart enough to figure that out. So I don't know why that flat side rusted stereon is still in existence. And his
1: eighty four stereon doesn't have any eighty four stereon is non-intercooled actually, so, so wouldn't even, even have to worry about
2: that. Man, it just got tons easier. <laughs> okay,
1: so I have a set of valve stem seals coming for the naturally aspirated two six that's
2: in The Raider right now, they're the same as the turbo one. You can might as well do maintenance on the turbo one while you're swapping the motor over.
1: I want to. Now, I okay. I don't unfortunately have the time to swap the motor over this week.
2: It takes forty five minutes to remove that engine.
1: You are not welcome on the show anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Forty five minutes take a little more than that in that car. I I I I have this I have this problem, Josh, where I get. like, emotionally attached to a car. Um, and I know that car... That,
2: that is a really bad thing to have up in the Northeast, man. Yeah. Emotionally attached to something that decays.
1: Yeah, and, and I know that car is is really beyond what's financially feasible. Or even... Not even financially, because I can do the work myself, but it's beyond, like worth doing the project itself it's not a good use of time it's not a good use of time yeah considering for
0: not much money you could buy one that was solid from out west with a toasted i could be like josh
1: find me a nice one and you find me one by tomorrow
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're laying in backyards all over around here actually i know a guy right now that's got one that uh, just needs a transmission and the transmission it needs is sitting at my house Okay,
1: so if you can convince me (laughs) that I can somehow get that car and drive that car back home, I will turbo swap the the Raider. But what I need to do is I need to get the car running by next week, the Raider running by next week, for MOD East. Well, the flat sider runs, right?
2: It does run. It
1: runs and drives great. It's only like 10,000 miles in that motor. So
2: putting a running motor into that thing would be pretty easy.
1: It sounds easy, but something would come up, and I wouldn't have time to do it, and I wouldn't have time to sort it out, and it would be an issue. And I'm just making excuses now, so stop me anytime. Yeah,
2: with with, with Um,
1: that kind of attitude, you're never going to get it done. But for now, I okay
2: but you you are right the valve stem seals is just a pop a cam you know
1: yeah exactly i'm going to pop the valve stem Uh, seals in and see if the smoke goes away If the smoke goes away i'm going to drive it to mod i'm going to do the wheeling trip where you know i think yeah i think what's happening here andrew yeah is josh is just nervous that the east coast crew is going to have a bigger montero contingent than the west coast crew, (laughs) so he's trying to make me make a bad decision and not have one less truck Oh, I'm i'm on the fence i mean maybe i might be able to go we'll see well, if I, if I do this project and it fails miserably, I have to steal one of Andrew's trucks to go down to the Yeah, inventory.
0: The silver one's so, ready to go. You yeah. just keep the radiator topped off.
1: But anyway, yeah, so I, we we got a little off topic there as we always do, um, because people like to give Brad crap. Um, because <laughs> he has a yard full of crap and actually just his father just... has a yard full of crap because he doesn't have room in his own house for his crap. Just leave me something and I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, well, that I I think that that vehicle will be turbo swapped at some point. It's just I don't know. I think you say it's four wires, but
2: I don't know. I just... It is. We've done it. I mean, it's there's there's one right down the road from here. that um, The swap is such... It, it almost does itself. It's that. Like, you put it in, and you're like, wow, there's really not much else to do. I mean, you don't have to run new fuel lines or anything. Use the existing fuel lines. Um, in the back, right where the fuel line comes out of the fuel tank, you just put an inline fuel pump in there just a universal one that's, that's that'll get you fuel pressure you yeah yeah there's it's ridiculous how simple it is and that two six motor when it's working and it's reliable and it doesn't have that Makuni carb on it if it has a weber on it they're a pretty good motor actually
1: my but, truck my truck has a weber on it chinese weber listen
2: yes yeah, so it's, it's a Weber setup Still, oh, you've got a knockoff?
1: It's, it's still a lever. So, the carb has never been an issue, surprisingly. I drove that thing through sober. right through New England winter, and the thing starts and just just beautifully, actually, even with
2: that cheesy Chinese made Weber carb on it. So
1: Yeah, my experience no so with
2: those it. things is they work just, just as good as the normal Webers. They actually just whistle a little more. There's a it little bit more. It does make noise. Uh, There's no question yeah. it makes
1: a little noise. But yeah, I've, yeah. Other I've other never that, had an I've issue. Had no with no it. Complaint. Yeah, for the four hundred bucks I paid for the truck, I mean, it came with the carb on already, and it came with you know, some other stuff, so it's totally worth the four hundred bucks I paid for it, regardless of anything that ever happens to it. So, <laughs> well, gee, wait. you know,
2: that's the beauty of the uh, two point six short wheelbases. Is all you got to do is wait for somebody to get frustrated with trying to maintain them, and they give up on them, and you get them for nothing. And if you know how to maintain them, you're good.
1: Yeah, well, that's what this truck was. It was in the junkyard. Um, because the guy couldn't make it run, and I had it running before I drove it out of the junkyard, so <laughs> it was just it was a firing order issue, and that was. I mean,
0: the engine's only blown up three times since, but that's beside the point.
2: <laughs> that's how my brother got his first uh, turbo conquest. Was it uh, the uh, Haynes manual firing order?
1: Okay. Yeah, it's, it's try backwards. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I don't remember what firing. I don't remember what order it was in, but I know you know the firing order from owning. You know, dozens of these stupid things. the heinous manual. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah. one of the manuals out there over the years put the wrong firing order in it, and a lot of guys followed that book, you know, for maintenance, and then they end up having to sell it because... Which you would, yeah. Yeah,
1: of course. (laughs) But uh, um, overlanding. Yeah. That's your big thing now, right? A lot of overlanding, a lot of rock climbing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Um, we do uh, a lot of adventuring like that.
1: Were you more into overlanding before you knew what overlanding was? Or is that something that you kind of fell into, like, hey, these people are doing this cool thing called overlanding. I want to try it.
2: You know, I was doing it for years. And then when I got into the four-wheel drive world, that's where I started hearing the phrase. And I'm like, what is this overlanding stuff that people keep talking about? And then I looked into it, and I
0: was like, oh, four-by-four yeah, okay. okay. four so
2: <laughs> yeah, going out and exploring, finding a good spot with a good view, hanging out. You know, I... Um, Adam and I have very different, uh, my business partner, Adam, and I have very different uh, approaches to off-roading. You know, he's, he loves going rock crawling, you know, and he, he loves doing the easy stuff, too. But my favorite is just going on a good, graded forest service road and going further than the normal person would go. That's what I like. And, yeah, and finding a good place to set up camp and just hanging out, you know, with my friends or my family or my girlfriend and just, you know, watching the sunset, you know, just being out away from the city, away from the hustle and bustle.
1: That's uh that's what attracted us to it pretty much as well, because I already liked camping and then I liked cars and like, wait a second. It's gotta be way to combine yeah. these things together. Yeah. So I, I don't
0: love camping, I'm warming up to it still. Um I like just blasting down dirt roads. That's the other thing. Um
2: Yeah, that is a lot of fun. Growing up in Michigan, that was always readily available. And then moving to the Phoenix metro area, and before that, living in the city in, in Michigan, I lost a lot of my dirt road fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're lucky out here in the Northeast, too. We have a lot of mountain roads and, you know, access roads the tops the mountains. I mean,
0: it's, we're, like, a couple hours away, but, yeah, like, two hours minimum, you can get to some nice roads. Yeah, it's I know, minutes. like, being out a couple times, I've been to Phoenix, because uh, my fiancé is from the Arizona area. Uh, you can just literally just drive outside the city limits, and then all of a sudden there's just a dirt road. Like, it's so bizarre to me <laughs> how like the landscape will just change from like houses to just desert, like a, like a very yeah, stark. Yeah, I'm, like,
2: I'm right on the edge of the Tonto yeah. National Forest, so it's like I get in my Montero and it's ten minutes to the nearest trailhead, and you know, full on off roading right there. Yeah.
0: like a sidewalk will end, and it's just desert, like literally <laughs> desert, <Yep>.
1: like. <laughs> This is where the, the the artist drawing the cartoon ran out of time. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Yeah, it,
1: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Now we have we have some really nice mountain roads up here, but yeah, like Andrew said, they're all a couple hours away. So yeah, it always becomes a weekend trip. It's not like yeah. a, after work I want to go wheeling. You can't. It's you need to make a plan of it and make a weekend out yeah, of it.
0: Maine has some nice roads, but there are forestry lo- like logging roads, so you yep. have to be aware of that. But then we've discovered, and I haven't been up there, but you guys have been up to uh, Yeah, that's Vermont. why we fell
1: in love with Vermont and going on yeah. to Vermont, because a lot, a lot of the roads up there, they're access to get to the top of the mountain for whatever reason. A lot of dirt bikes and quads use them, but they're just wide enough. Some of them aren't really wide enough, yeah. but we go anyway, uh,
0: for trucks. So Vermont that's... has this massive... Uh, they're all sort of cataloged and, and documented, all these primitive roads, they call them. Yep. And uh, they're just really well documented, and they're if you know where to look and where to find them, you're well rewarded. So
1: yeah, it's, it's it's an amazing trip, and if you ever get up to the northeast, Josh, we'll take you up to uh, do some wheeling in uh, in Vermont. Cause it's an amazing time. Yeah,
2: I love to. That place looks like the countryside is really beautiful it's, in the yeah. summer and especially in fall.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely stunning. And I think you guys have a good time up here. You and Adam, or you you and uh, you and Cam is your name, right? Your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you guys, you guys have a lot of fun up here for sure. Vermont is an interesting
0: mix of sort of Maine and New Hampshire and Massachusetts, where it's got some mountains and then a lot of rolling farmland. Yep. So it's it's very much like upstate New York, if that makes sense. Um, well, I've never been to the east Coast yeah. at
2: all. So really, yeah, I've never been beyond Pennsylvania. So, see for an, for an adventurer, okay. that's okay. definitely a trip it's, you have to make. Then
0: it's <laughs> definitely, I would say, Vermont is very much like rural Pennsylvania with more elevation okay. with mountains. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's yeah. It's very similar. You'll have those rolling hills and farmland, and then the edges of it will be mountains.
1: Yeah, all the rolling hills and farmland are in the valleys between exactly. mountains.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: So, there's a lot of a lot a lot of a lot of trails to go up there, and it's it's definitely a worthwhile trip. I mean, it sounds
2: really picturesque. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, it's beautiful, and there's no, uh, there's no, you know, brown bears. It's just black bears, so it's good. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the California <laughs> brown bears yeah. or the grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. We, we have like camera bears around here. So, um, I guess we can move on to adventure-driven design. Andrew, you think?
0: Yeah, let's talk about your company. So, what, That's what you're here for is adventure-driven design.
2: Um, well. We started ADD about a little over a year ago. Yeah. Adam Campbell and I, we sat down over coffee and we were just kind of discussing what we wanted out of life. He was working a full-time job. I was working a full-time job. We weren't really happy with the way that things were going in our lives. and you know, we were happy with our personal lives, but the, the work-life balance kind of thing didn't really work. We'd spend all day just at work daydreaming about the next adventure we were going to go on or researching or planning an adventure or a Mm -hmm. build or, you know, researching parts or whatever. And meanwhile, we're at these jobs that we really don't care about. You know, we we do our best to do the nine to five, but at the end of the day, when we clocked out, we would walk out of our respective workplaces and completely forget about our jobs until Monday morning. You know, we just didn't care. We just weren't in it and we spent a ton of our lives living on the idea that uh, if you do what you love for a living you're going to completely kill your enthusiasm for it.
1: And yeah, um, I think a lot of people
2: learn yeah. that when they're young. Yep.
1: Yeah. We had the same discussion with Brian Driggs actually. He was making all of the same points. I'm not sure if that's yeah, entirely
0: it, true, but that you'll you'll kill your enthusiasm for it. Well no, he's
1: that's what he's saying is
0: not yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but you know it's we'll going to the next point. Kid, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're a kid, and you're you're going through like you, know, you meet with your counselor in, in high school and stuff. And Oh, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? And they tell you to pursue a career in your interests. But then you talk to people in real life and they're like, dude, don't do your hobby as a job. It'll just kill it. It'll just ruin it. And Brian for years has been pushing the whole work life parallel idea. And it's something that I wanted, but the fear of killing my hobby really made it you know scary to me. But on the flip side, the idea of selling my soul Monday to Friday so that I could make money so that I could work on the things that I did enjoy it seemed like there was like a really big middleman in the position you know you get eight hours of sleep you get eight hours of mind-numbing work and then you get eight hours of wrenching or adventuring or you know spending time with the people that you love and that sh- that just didn't all balance out in my book and I just said hey I'm gonna take this leap into adventure-driven design and I you know I think I hope the, the name explains sort of what it is. Our our designs are driven by our intention to adventure. You know, mm-hmm. reliability and quality being the most important aspect of what we're doing.
0: And what kind of vehicles are you providing products for? Because so we started
2: with... off with what we know best, you yeah. know, Mitsubishi's of course, you know between myself and Adam, we've got thirty years of combined experience. Adam's mostly in the Montero and four wheel drive platform. Mine's been across the board because I kind of have automotive ADD, which is, you know, we chose those initials on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, since then, we've expanded a little bit into Toyotas and some other makes. And eventually we'll manufacture parts for like a lot of, a lot of different four wheel drive vehicles. And like, we even have parts listed on our website for the uh, Guan Vera Fours and the Evos because we will go into that market. We will provide, you know, Under Armour um, for all kinds of mitsubishi platforms in mm-hmm. fact we were just talking the other day about getting skid plates uh, drawn up for the mitsubishi mirage and the uh, outlander because a lot of guys are using those there's this you know i don't know how old or new the the phrase is but the term soft rotor has come out you know for guys like yeah you know andrew you and i were the idea of just blasting down a dirt road you know a forest service road and finding a campsite is about the extent of what you want to do but you want to make sure that you know your vehicle is protected when you're doing it
1: you're talking about the new Mirage. Yeah,
2: yeah, the little three cylinder one, CMT.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have much experience with that car, but it interests me a little bit. I
0: had to. I mean, I had to have a skid plate made for my Galant VR4 because I would go out to shoot rallies, and that was the only car I had at the time. And it would it was lowered just on those H and R springs, so not much, but it would just it would smash and bottom out on the rally roads, and I was like, Ugh, I got to get a skid plate. And then eventually, it was like, well. I need something better than this, and that's what led me to the Montero. But anyway, so yeah, that's definitely something that of value. uh, If you can have skid plates or something, that's a neat thing to have. And Outlander, yeah, yeah, sorry, (laughs) sorry, sorry, Outlanders are, are a great platform too.
2: That's yeah, awesome. there's a lot of people that are into those, especially on the West Coast right now. You know, mm-hmm. This is a vehicle that's friendly enough for city life, traffic, and yep. you know, navigating around rural areas. And then it's got all-wheel drive and a fairly intelligent all-wheel drive, so you're able to take it out into the dirt and maintain traction. You have some decent ground clearance for a small car.
0: Yeah, my dad has a 2010. It's a pretty neat because it's 99% of the time we leave it in front-wheel drive. And then if you need it, you can just turn the knob and it's all-wheel drive or yeah. if you're really in deep snow you just turn it to the other setting and it locks the center diff so you suddenly have a you know a, like a semi 4x4 four
1: four vehicle I didn't realize that a diff lock in the center yeah yeah cool. it was pretty neat Probably like my old Audi head. yeah that's cool I didn't know that yeah
2: I had an old Audi 5000 that did that
1: yeah I had a 4000 same same setup okay. I'm sure the vacuum yep. operated yep <laughs> millions of miles of vacuum lines
2: Yes, for sure.
1: So other than those so, particular vehicles, what other vehicles do you have planned in the future? I mean, you said Toyota. What, what, what kind of Toyota stuff are you doing now?
2: It'll be mostly the four-wheel drive platforms for Toyotas. You know, the, the market is big enough in the Toyota realm that just oh, yeah, providing, just you know, skid plates and things like that will just continue to... Create enough business to kind of keep the doors open. You know, we won't have to worry. You know, the Montreal market is a very much a niche market. It's a small oh, yeah. market, but it's yep. it's what we love. It's, it's our passion, and we don't ever want to take away from that. But we have to do something to ensure that the business stays. Well, open.
1: yeah. Once once everybody you know that we know buys your parts, then you yeah.
2: Don't. Once the ten <laughs> people buy parts for Monteros, then what do you do? Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. You need to you need to figure out a second secondary business model.
0: Well, yeah. I, was, I mean, I was even thinking like. I'm like, well, what am I going to buy eventually when I have to replace this Montero if there isn't, like, another Montero available? There will always be a Montero available. Well, like, a, if I can't find the same generation, like, another nice version of one, I was like, I would move probably towards, like, an Xterra. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Mm-hmm. They're kind of neat trucks, so I was kind of wondering if you were going to build stuff for yeah. them or, yeah.
2: I actually ran into a guy in traffic one day because I, you know moved down to Arizona, left all my friends back in the Midwest, made new friends down in Arizona, but they were all Mitsubishi friends, and I wanted to develop armor and everything for the Nissan Fold, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know anybody with a Nissan, and I was in traffic one day, and there was just this guy that, uh, he had a lightly modified uh, Xterra, and I rolled up next to him, I was like, hey, man, you pull over, let me get your information, and you know, he pulled off, and he's like, who is this nut job? We talked for a couple of minutes, <laughs> yeah. and exchange information, and so he's going to allow us to use his truck so that we can build the prototypes for the, arm- the Under Armour and
1: everything. Oh, neat. Yeah, when you tell somebody you're going to give them some parts, if you get to you know, use their vehicle, they usually open up yeah. uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. You got to build me a what? <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, our, fr- our, yep. friend, our friend that's been
0: on the show, Jordan, he's got an Xterra. He's got the last year Hell they yeah. made him. yeah. Yeah, the 15, the Pro 4X, which, I mean, really, it's like a super, super nice truck. I love
1: driving that thing. The fact that it came with a six-speed manual, and it's got the factory diff lock, and we don't we don't want to admit it freely, but we have to because you know
0: he's the Ditch Hooker's we, recovery service. We do we
1: mm-hmm. we do respect his vehicle and his driving skills, but he has recovered quite a few Monteros. So
2: well, you know, it's uh, Nissan owns Mitsu. Yeah,
1: yeah, so there's some family love there right now. But he, right? uh, <laughs> he he's recovered Andrew's truck.
2: it's his um, it two wheel drive.
1: He hasn't recovered my truck, I don't think. No. But he had another recovery this past weekend on that trip to Vermont I was talking about. With uh, AJ imported that right-hand drive turbo diesel truck from England. It's got junk tires. Oh yeah, the uh, the red one. Yeah, the Shogun. Um, Mm -hmm. And he got buried pretty good. Now I will admit it was probably my fault that he got. It was his fault because he chose the wrong path, and we had to back out of the path. And I was in my seven thousand pound you know crew cab Silverado diesel, (laughs) and I dug (laughs) I dug some pretty serious trenches. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I had to be pulled out because I have highway tires. Um, and then he got stuck in my trenches with his, you know, stock height, you know, first gen short wheelbase, and the Xterra had to pull him out as well. So it was, uh, the Xterra's got a few Mitsubishi notches on its belt. And yeah. we gotta give, we gotta, we gotta give Jordan the credit because he, uh, keeps lightly reminding me that I haven't mentioned that in the podcast yet. So there you go, Jordan. Don't-
2: those are good trucks. They're kind of Nissan's sort of unsung hero like the Montero is. You know, they, they yeah. didn't take a whole lot to the aftermarket crowd. And, I mean, those things, you, you could get the Nissan with a supercharger. You know, how cool is that? Yeah, that's very you cool. Know, what, what if the Montero would have come with the, mo- you know, like they knew boosted motors. Mitsu knew what they were doing when it came to boosted engines. Yeah, yeah I was surprised. It would surprised. have been nothing for them to throw a supercharger on yeah, the Montero. I
1: was, I was surprised when I learned that the uh, Pajero Evolution was not a turbo car. I always assumed it was looking nope. at pictures of it. No, no it's at my VEC but still screams yeah it yeah that's yeah, cool still but i was just surprised
2: it was one of those yeah. things that you
1: see that thing it's you know it's a, a homologation special and every other homologation mitsubishi is a turbo something so i was like oh he must be a twin turbo but nope
2: yeah it will totally make sense you know yeah
0: and then as far as like relatability when i'm working on an nissan it's the thing that feels the most like a mitsubishi yeah it's very to similar. Me. even before they bought you know obviously. They haven't really shared much engineering yet, but you know, even just being under the the um, Xterra, it, it feels a lot like a Mitsubishi. Oh, it's think, very comfortable to work on.
1: I think a lot of that is that they're the smaller of the Japanese manufacturers. Yeah, you know, they probably have a lot of cross shared parts and cross shared people that develop parts for them you know the third parties that oh yeah parts. probably they probably share a lot with mitsubishi and nissan because they're a smaller volume than say a toyota or a honda yeah. I, w- I would guess i mean that's just that's a fair guess i think. Pure, pure conjecture i don't really know for sure yes. but.
2: well their island is only so big and i'm sure there's only so yeah. many engineers that exist on that island
1: that seems to be per capita than most of them though because they have a lot of manufacturers <laughs> over there they have a lot of cool stuff they for sure a small do. place
2: yeah yeah they definitely do
0: so so back to your company adventure driven design on these parts that you're making who is doing the design and engineering and then the testing of them is it just you and adam
2: well it's kind of a collective effort locally you know adam's a fabricator by trade yeah he's certified in welding he's the guy can look at something he knows whether it's structurally sound or not just just two seconds of looking at it um i have a degree in business and i've worked in product development so i kind of understand that process um We've got a really, really strong core group of enthusiasts here in Arizona. Phoenix is kind of like, I've always looked at it as like the mecca of Monteros. There's like 30-plus Montero owners just right here in the valley. And two or three of the Montero owners, well, I think two of the Montero owners and uh, one of the other guys, one of our friends, uh, Keith Roper, he's a plant VR4 enthusiast. They work with SolidWorks daily, so it's just, you know, we can hand make a prototype, and hand it over to one of our friends who will turn it into a SolidWorks drawing. And then I coordinate materials and manufacturing. And our friend Kevin, he has one of the most built Monteros in the U.S., and he wheels harder than most of the people. So he tends to be one of our testers. We give him stuff because if it's going to break, he's going to break it. And cool. If he can't break it, no one Adam can. will find, figure out. Well, <laughs> if he can't, Adam will figure out how to break it. Oh, okay. Adam will, Adam will break it out of sheer force you know in, with the intent of breaking it just to
1: see how much it can <clears throat> yeah
2: yeah exactly
0: so i bu- because, oh sorry go ahead
2: in the manufacturing side of things you know when we first started we first put together the company uh we got everything up and running. my life got a little bit of turbulent and a lot of my savings i had to spend on some other stuff just personal life related and then I found out that my identity actually had been stolen by someone back home, and that dude managed to wreck my credit. So my original business plan of purchasing machinery to, to manufacture stuff in-house had to change. We, we just didn't have the capital anymore to do that. So we actually had to outsource our manufacturing. Um, but it was like, uh, you know, uh, I guess you'd call it a, a Diamond Stars aligned kind of situation. I was catching up <laughs> one day with Brian Driggs and, he mentioned that a mutual friend of ours needed some part time help getting his rally car back up on the dirt. And it, our mutual friend's Keith Roper. He's a mechanical engineer, a Gallant Vera 4 enthusiast, a stage rally driver. He's on Prescott Rally and a bunch of other ones. He has um, Brian's
1: old Gallant, right? Yes, yeah. exactly.
2: Yep. And uh, his previous Quantvira 4, he raced in stage rally all over the West Coast, and the front strut tower had separated from the frame on one of the landings of one of the many jumps that it had taken, and that totally destroyed the front chassis. And he was in the middle of swapping everything from that chassis over to Brian Driggs' old chassis, but his company takes up a ton of his time. You know, he's a small business owner, self-starter, so, you know, he works 24 hours a day pretty much. And I stopped in to see if I could help get his car back up on the road and also help build myself some working capital while I was trying to get adventure-driven going. And we got to talking and catching up, and he offered me a combo part-time job. So, like, the first half of the week, I work in his engineering firm for half the day, and the other half the day, I work in Air Force. And, you know, that helps me get capital going so that I can keep the business going. But that also helped me because he's got 20 years worth of experience in his field. He's been, he's had his company for 20 years and he's been working with manufacturing for 20 years. And he just took me around, introduced me to all his friends in small businesses that are in manufacturing, metalworking, coating, plastics, and all that sort of thing. And these are all well-vetted relationships that he's had over the last like 20 years. So it was like my Rolodex just went from nothing to completely full of vetted resources which was a complete blessing, you know, I finding out my credit was wrecked and I wasn't able to invest in machinery. Um, that just, that wrecked everything. Cause I thought I was totally good. You know, I just bought a house. I was doing the normal thing, making my payments, you know, I thought everything was fine. And then I find this out and I'm like, Oh gosh, what am I going to do? It seemed like ADD was going to go start just as fast or fail just to start as it, as, as fast as it started. Um, so thankfully through his introductions, all of our parts, like the skid plate that you have, Andrew, yeah. that's all manufactured from our design uh, by a manufacturing firm right here in the valley that they it's all automotive enthusiasts. They build Baja one thousand trucks. They design parts for a ton of four drive vehicles. And this has really helped us not just in the manufacturing, but it also adds another layer of professional experience to our designs. You know, they are able to review our work before it actually goes into production and yeah, they they weigh they, in they know from are like looking that for, forward to it, yeah, exactly. They they look at it from a production engineering point of view, you know, which helps us keep our costs low. You know, if you change this or if you you know change this bend a little bit, we'll be able to reduce the cost of manufacturing. So they're very much a partner with us in that aspect. You know, they're looking out for our best interests. Yeah, because if you do well, they do well. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The more more stuff you build, the more stuff they build. Well, we had like the it. we had the plate. It
0: was down here in the studio last week before I installed it. And, Brad, you saw it. I mean, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. It's I mean, absolutely. It like, sucks
1: it's going in the bottom of a car. <laughs> I know. I'm not even
0: saying it because, like, you're the guest. Like, it is a legit, incredibly nice part. Like, one of the nicest parts that I've ever bought. Well, I know. Without without part. throwing yeah.
1: any names out there, yeah. you know, you, you bought the skid plate for the gallant And it fit nicely. And it worked nicely. But it wasn't beautiful. Well, you can tell beautiful. it was handmade. Yeah. It wasn't beautiful. Yeah. This piece came through. <laughs> it looks like something, you know, it looks like a Jo's part. Yeah. You know, it looks really good. So, uh, there's this, this definitely, definitely it, it highly recommended. Perfect. I yeah. didn't have to
0: like grind out holes or anything to make it fit.
1: So, yeah, no, you, you can tell it was built with uh, you know care and
2: and and wanting to have the best product out I'm, there. I'm
0: so. looking forward to that uh, transmission one.
2: Yeah, you know that's part of what takes us a little bit of time yeah. between each individual thing is because either we spend the capital to pay for the. You know the design work or our local enthusiasts pitch in when they can and thankfully they're able to pitch in you know more often than not um but you know have we go if we pay for the design of things we can speed it up but if we don't you know it takes us a little bit longer and then also between adam and a couple of the other guys they're very much perfectionists when it comes to fit and finish so they'll bang their head against the wall for a week, just trying to make sure that bolt holes are going to be where they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, you expect truck to truck, it's going to vary by, you know, millimeters usually, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it was real close. It was nice. It just bolted right up. Cause mine was, what happens is like on these second gen trucks, that skid plate, you have to remove it to do an oil change. Right. So, yeah, over the years they go missing on these trucks because people go to Jippy Lube or whatever, and the yeah, kid when, throws it away. When, when or it was a
1: ten-year-old truck, and nobody cared about it. Yeah,
0: so it's nice to have that be available. I don't have to go junkyard diving to find an original one that's probably all rusty.
1: Yeah, plus it's nicer and stronger than the original one. Anyway. Exactly.
0: And being up yeah, here and in England,
2: made out of stainless, so you're yeah. not having to worry about corrosion. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, it's definitely a strong piece. There's no question.
0: Yeah, which I might not even. Uh, so there's another layer to the story, too, is that the truck that I own, I bought from you, Josh. So that Oh, is, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that truck came from Arizona, and it is, like, so clean. I'm at the point now I was going to... I'm still going to undercoat it, but I don't think I'm going to drive it in the wintertime anymore.
2: <laughs> I think I'm just going <laughs> to drive Stephanie's old car in the wintertime. <laughs> that's okay. Nothing
1: wrong there's with no that. There's
2: no shame in that. I mean... The, the worst thing about working on a on a truck after it's been through the northern winters is you know being afraid that you're going to shear off a bolt when you go to break something loose. Oh, it's not being
1: afraid; it's knowing you're going to shear off a bolt. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, yeah, it's yeah. Just, that's how it works.
1: That and I just
0: don't like. Uh, I just hate ruining things. with salt. It's just terrible.
1: Yeah, ruining it and not having fun. I don't mind ruining it in the woods and bashing it off a tree. I just don't want to yeah just... ruin it with salt. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's well-earned damage, you know, daily driving it through the salt and having it just rot away underneath you. I bought a Montero one time that from the coil spring back on the rear. Uh, I, I took it to the car wash after I picked it up, and I thought, man, the rear of the frame sure does look weird. And I just blasted it with the... Uh, pressure washer and I watched the frame disappear and I could see through the frame. I'm yeah. like, "Oh." That must no. be a Michigan truck. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it came out of I think uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, it's- we had
0: a we had a friend, he texted me, he was looking at, he found a a, a 2 and a half gen. It was like a 98 or 99 rear locker, 77,000 miles on it. It looked beautiful, mint. He went down to look uh-huh. at it. The rear of the frame was just rotted away because it had been used on the coast here, and someone who's uh, towing a boat with it, so they're dunking it in the ocean. So the back half of the truck was just gone. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, and the guy wanted way too much money with that much frame damage. And I, I, I just just walk away, man. Like it's, yeah. it's just not worth it.
2: You know, now that you mention that, the guy that I bought that truck from had a boat in his garage, and it didn't even never. It never occurred to me that he was probably back in that boat into the lake somewhere in Michigan. And constantly yep. submerging yep. that rear frame. And those frames are corrugated inside to add strength to them. So they will trap debris and stuff.
1: Oh, really? That'll mm. definitely do it then. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the, the lakes there are not salt lakes, though, are they?
2: No, no. but no, still know, moisture, so though. You're, you're yeah. Adding, yeah, adding a lot of moisture. Yeah, because out here,
1: the oceans is pretty much, you know, the death of all cars. So, <laughs> so if it's not the winter that kills them, it's salt air.
0: Yeah. So you are out. We've established that you're out in the Phoenix area. Um and we sort of touched on it earlier. You guys had that huge Mod West, which is like the headquarters of Mitsubishi is in Cyprus.
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty and much L.A. Everything over there is L.A.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like L.A. suburbs or whatever. I guess if that's what you call it. I don't go out there often enough to really know. Why it's going be like the bro-
2: population density is so so um, well dense out there that you walk three blocks and you're in another town.
1: Yeah, it's probably like Boston has like it's Brookline and Cambridge and but it's all really just kind of like Boston. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's like here our cities are just next to each other. You don't drive yeah. between them. Um but regardless, you guys um organized on your forums, you had a bunch of Montero owners show up and Yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, you did like a bunch of adventuring afterwards. So how was that?
2: I mean it was It was a great time. It was all, it almost seemed like it wasn't going to happen and it was so god awful hot. I mean, you know, Mitsubishi, if for any reason they, you know, tap into their customers and decide to start listening to things like this podcast, guys don't have that event in the hottest month of the year. (laughs) Yeah. Southern (laughs)
0: California, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you know, the first week of July, it's. There was a point where we were crossing through Palm Springs and the, there's a microclimate, you know, on the highway because it's a heat island. The concrete's been soaking all day and it's like 5 p.m. and it's 124 degrees. Ugh. yeah. So, you know, we've got guys with us from Canada. Phil had his Pajero Evo. Wade yep. had his Delica. And, you know, they're just like, how do you get used to this? And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm from Michigan, man. I'm still not used to this. I've been here for three years and yeah. I'm still not used to this um what is that you know,
0: I, direct... is that i10 is that what that is yeah yeah it's not a fun drive it's just no, like long and it. straight I mean, yeah just,
2: if you're into the movie mad max and it's a windy <laughs> yeah. day then it's a great road for you to drive on but the rest of the time if we could just teleport it would yeah you know <laughs> you're not missing anything
1: so if elon musk to finish his vacuum tubes
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
0: but the only thing but was- actually the only thing that's cool about that sorry to interrupt is the when you get into Palm Springs is all the wind farms I find is very cool looking but that's about it the rest of it is just like meh. I
2: just- love to see that in any month other than July yeah you know because when we're when we're looking at that that means that we're climbing the last little hill that goes into LA And it's this very, very long, but not steep hill. So as we're going up this thing, you know, I've been working on Mitsus for a long time. I know what it's like to have to do a head gasket on a Montero. (laughs) As soon as that, you know, I had a fully rotted radiator. everything was fresh, everything was good. Everything's working fine on the vehicle, but you put six hours of driving through 117 to 120 degree temperatures. And that final last climb, I had been running the AC the entire time at full blast and we're going up there and i noticed the temp gauge it usually sits down below half and it went up about one little tick from where it was and i'm like nope i'm not going down that road and yeah. uh, clicked off the ac for as long as i could tolerate which is probably like 5 10 minutes and then clicked it right back on again you know and it, it had gone back down by then but you know the wind farms are that's something crazy to see if you've never seen it before when you get there you're like what is all this it almost looks alien yeah
0: yeah, you like like come over, I'm yeah. trying to remember, yeah, you kind of come over like a hill, because I've only done it in, like, rental cars, so, like, whatever brand new rental cars, yeah. it's like... If, if it breaks,
1: you call Enterprise, Yeah, you worry about it later. Yeah, you can <laughs> do
0: 85 across the desert, and uh, yep. no, nobody cares. Throw it away when you're done. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, you kind of come over that hill, and then I feel like there's a couple points where it switchbacks up mountains, like, through a couple canyons, if I'm thinking of the right there's road, yeah.
2: There's a of different ways you can take... Yeah. Uh, but right after the wind farms is where everything branches off and you can go in like probably 15 different directions yeah. to get where you're going in LA. But on the other side of that, on the East side of that, um, is the big climb going out of Palm Springs that has signs that say like, you know, turn off your AC avoid overheating.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Going and that one way.
2: snakes up, you know, pretty, pretty drastic. And you can see out over the Valley.
0: Yeah. And then you can like, I've usually done the drive where I come down that way. And I forget exactly where we turn off, but then we like headed north towards up to Prescott. Oh, okay. And uh, that's a fun road that way. Because um, we did it kind of last time I did it, it, was like right around sunset. And I just got to that point on 89A where it goes almost straight up.
2: Oh, yeah. Right as the yeah, sun was going those down. Those are great. Yeah. Those
0: are really fun. Yeah. I think I smoked the CBT in the. And the Kia rental car. Oops.
1: (laughs) Call him up. Can I purchase the full insurance now? Uh, That's not my fault (laughs) it broke. I didn't crash it. Yeah, no, I I love driving out there. I I enjoy it immensely, and I can't wait to go back.
2: Well, hopefully you guys have got a decent turnout for this year's uh, Mitsubishi Owners Day. We we had something like 35 uh, Montero or full-wheel drive Mitsubishis at this event, and last year i think i counted like three or four
0: yeah i think it was the most they've had right and then did they yeah they sort of contacted you guys didn't they their pr team or
2: yeah they uh they used to have an an employee that was doing their social media and then they outsourced their social media to some other company out of la and when it, all this was coming up you know as we were posting about mod and we were tagging mitsubishi in our social media uh Respect to social medias and stuff. They contacted us. We got a message from Mitsubishi Motors' Instagram, you know, official page. And they're like, hey, we're interested in your journey to Mitsubishi Owners Day. We'd love to talk to you more about it. And we had a phone conversation about it and let them know what we were doing. And somehow they had the impression that we were a lot bigger of a company than we were. And I don't know if this made any difference into whether or not they continued to pursue it with us, but it was like we exchanged a couple of emails and it just fell off. And, you know, they, they were advertising the 100 year anniversary vehicle yeah,
1: yeah that was, was that being, there or
2: not no that didn't get finished that shop that was working on it didn't didn't uh we had that, didn't get it done in time we
1: had that discussion about the shop that was working on that in a previous episode and how disappointed we
2: were that that's the shop that Mitsubishi chose i'm Did, not even familiar with them but you know just the fact that they weren't able to pull it together in time for mod is like wow do you guys know the what the name of that shop was or uh, West Coast Customs. Yeah, West Coast
1: Customs. Yeah, he's yeah, the well. guy. He's got. He's a, he's a TV show, so I mean, you're already, you know, not you're going for a guy who's got a TV show and he's a TV personality. He's not. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anything bad and somehow, but I can say I think about this guy. I mean, I try not to crap talk people, but they're questionable. You know, I don't know if you've gotcha. seen like the, the the Will I M cars. No. Oh. Uh,
2: oh, actually, yeah, I have the... Uh, the weird the DeLorean ones, like, thing? Hat, ha, uh, the one I saw, I think, was like half one car and half the other car.
1: Yeah, well, they're the shop that builds those
2: things. So they built the, a...
1: What was it, the Porsche? It was an, They did, did a 356 with a Boxster drivetrain swap for I one think, of the I think it was, a, it was for B- Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, yeah, it but it was like terrible.
0: a it was like yeah. a Boxster with a 356 body though. Yeah, it wasn't even a drive train. Yeah, shop. They,
1: they stretched the body over the Boxster, and it just, they, they they just they built a lot of questionable things. It's always been, remember Pimp My Ride on MTV. Yeah, it's the shop that did those.
2: Oh, excellent! Yeah, yeah I, I it's I a newer it's a newer iteration just for Justin Bieber. Yeah, exactly. It's all it's
1: all celebrity builds. So that shop does, and that's why it's yeah. always guy rolls in a brand new Lamborghini, and he wants you know chrome 24s and tvs that's the kind of shop it is so i mean
2: there's a montero guy up in the bay area i think that builds uh cars for guy Fieri. um so he built yellow gms <laughs> yeah that's all he owns <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but he's a montero guy that's cool though yeah, so, yeah I guess see, so we like him but we just don't like guy fieri <laughs> But if, if I see a uh, Guy Fieri, uh, uh, diners, dives, and drive-ins approved stick around a restaurant, I'll usually go to the next one. No that's, not, <laughs> no, that's not true. I just don't like his, you know, persona. He's an annoying human being. Yeah. Well, we've got a, there's a local restaurant here that he
0: went to. What it was previous owners? What restaurant was that? The Depot Diner. Oh, really? This is. Real local stuff, but it, regardless, it's a really good restaurant anyways. you should go. There. Yeah, we got
1: yelled at for talking about high school classes last week. Let's not talk about local <laughs> diners.
2: Oh, yeah, I heard that one. I, was, I zoned out for a couple of minutes because I had no idea what you guys were talking about. Yeah,
1: well, so, some friends were like, that was funny and interesting. And some friends were like, you guys shouldn't talk about your high school experiences. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. I mean, it's your guys' show. You talk about anything you want. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah, we're going on to the next thing. So after MOD West, what did you guys do for a trip? Did everybody that came with a 4x4 go on the, like, overlanding trip or the trail drive?
2: Well, we had about 35 Mitsu show up and, you know, or Montero show up. And a number of those guys, they had, you know, no idea until, like, the last minute that anything was even happening. Like, whoa, whoa, there's Monteros there? You know, the night before the event, there was tons of people getting phone calls saying, we saw on social media there's a bunch of Monteros there. Is there still, like, room? Can we get in, you know? And so all these folks started showing up, and we were going around trying to rally everybody up. You know, hey, come on, go do this trail. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they they haven't done any overlanding or off-roading or anything, so... You know, some of them bowed out. Some of them didn't have the time, but I think there ended up being like twelve or fourteen of them. And Which is still a pretty good they, group.
1: <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, for yeah, sure. It's tough to manage a trail ride with you know more than three or four vehicles sometimes. So that's a uh, that's still a sight to I, see.
2: Even getting the the local Arizona crew to go out there to begin with, you know, th- these guys they don't get a lot of free time. You know, most of them have got full time jobs and families and stuff. And when they get yeah, free time they just want to spend it off-roading or camping or just being away from all the, the drama of the city. And the idea of a car show was not really that well received when I got back from mod last year. Yep. Um, you know, it was like, Hey, you guys should come out to this thing. It'd be really awesome. And it was like a car show. We're just going to be overrun by evolutions. Like it's not, yeah. that doesn't seem like a lot of fun. And I, okay. Well, so we decided to put together an off-roading camping trip afterwards. You know, so that way we could kind of, you know, we get a little bit of, for everybody involved. So some of the guys came only because of the trail and next year, you know, if there's a mod West Coast next year, we'll probably attend it, leave earlier in the day, and hit the trail because it's probably going to be more about the camping and more about the Montero mod than it'll be about the actual mod event. Well, here
1: but, here on the East Coast, we've already taken that experience you guys had and learned from that, and we're doing this that similar story. Where that's great
2: if, if that can be duplicated over and over. I, yeah, you know,
1: we're doing we're, <laughs> we're doing the show, you know, early in the morning, and we're going to leave early do some trail riding and then everybody's going to camp together overnight and then break out Sunday morning. So So So, some people are going to stay through Sunday too and do some, some run some, some trails on Sunday too. But
0: this is where I'm torn because I love bringing my Galant VR4
1: to that event, but I've also brought it like three or four times. So you bring a Galant VR4 and I bring a Montero and you just park your Galant VR4 and you ride passenger in the Montero and take pictures.
0: Yeah. Or I could just drive the 99 down.
1: Listen, I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, How far is it <laughs> to drive for you guys? It's, it's a
2: it's a hike, yeah, about six hours. Six hours. Oh, okay. It was about the same for us. Yeah. I not. was gonna suggest you know, recruiting more people to drive, but that's you know, that's ridiculous. No,
0: it's like um, it's six hours, but you gotta go basically through New York City.
2: Yeah, that's the problem with it. Ouch. <laughs> Instead
0: yeah. of open desert, it's yeah. uh, extreme like congestion city. Yeah,
2: I'm
1: not sure if it's worse or not than L.A., but, you know. I would I would
2: say it's probably equally as challenging as crossing the desert in 120 temps. You know, it's yeah. probably going to present its own pitfalls.
1: Well, the good thing about crossing the desert is the only thing you're really worried about is overheating. Yeah. Crossing through the Bronx, you're more worried about carjacking. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a little different of a story. It's, Nobody
2: uh, wants an old Mitsubishi nope. except for us.
1: Yeah, but they're more concerned with, you know, the contents of your wallet.
2: Oh, I gotcha. uh,
1: never had problems there. I haven't either, but there's a lot of stories. So
0: uh, I mean, then uh, I mean, the toll over the George Washington Bridge now is like what, $18? $15? It's, yeah, it's eighteen dollars, fifteen dollars? Yeah, eighteen dollars now. Yeah,
1: I went when I went over one of the bridges. Yeah, what was it with, with your trailer? I went over one of the bridges in in New York. I forget which one it was, and I had my truck and my dual axle, you know, enclosed trailer. Um, and he's count, counting the wheels and tires, and she goes back. She goes thirty-seven fifty, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Just to drive over this bridge. Oh, the roads are <laughs> terrible. Like where is yeah. the money going? Yeah, well. I was I was shocked to say the least. I was like it's a whole tank of gas. Like what are you doing <laughs> to me here? Crazy. <laughs> I did not budget for 3750 in tolls for one toll. And
0: there's no way like you can either go straight through the city or
1: around. And then it winds up being a 9-hour drive.
0: Yeah. It's so, not.
1: or 8 hours anyway. Yeah.
0: It's it's not super super fun. But
1: you just going to
2: plan it to not be there during rush hour traffic and try, so try to pass how far drive and, is it going to yeah. be from the event to the off-roading? Do you Supposedly not far.
1: Is? I'm not really – I'm not familiar with any off-roading in New Jersey or, well, or Pennsylvania. Once
0: you're in the part of New Jersey where it's kind of lined up with Philadelphia, like it's like mid-New Jersey, they're, you're out of like the New York City part of New New Jersey? Jersey. Sure. Yeah, well you're not at the shore, you're kinda of in the middle, so there's nothing in the middle. It's they call it the pine barrens. So it's like New Jersey is just empty in the middle, just bunch but pine trees. Yeah. It's like sandy pines, like there's just like the gravel, it's like very sandy.
1: Yeah. My only experience in the woods in New Jersey is when we went to the racetrack down there for the first Rally Cross event. Same area. Yeah. So that was very it looked like New Hampshire but it was in New Jersey. Yeah. So yep.
0: Very, very. It should
1: be interesting. I don't know how much how long of a drive it is. I'm sure it's only an hour or so from the car show is from what I've been told. Yeah. But it should be fun. I know we have at least you know six or seven yeah. Monteros going. So, I mean, it's not thirty, but it's it's also the Northeast,
2: so we don't have as many left. No. Yeah, that's for sure. So well, hopefully, it's a decent turnout. I mean, even just having ha- you know less than half of the number, just having any turnout at all. Yeah, you know, no, and that's, that's what it's all that about. that platform. Yeah, that's
1: what it's all about, promoting mm-hmm. the platform and promoting anybody's, you know, small business. And I'll make sure I wear my Adventure Driven Design T-shirt so that everybody knows on. Yes. Oh, nice. Going on. Yeah. <laughs> I got it covered in mud the first time I wore it. So, you know, I got to keep up the keep up the appearances with it. <laughs> so, so, I don't
2: know what I was thinking, getting those made in white, being that we're all gearheads and raw are all you know, off-roading. You know, we,
1: we had that discussion. I was like, sweet. Not another black T-shirt. I have so many black T-shirts. But well, we had a discussion because I put it on for that first event. That's the first time I wore it. I put it on for that wheeling event last weekend. And uh, I was like, man, why is this thing bright white? And it was Eric pointed out, he's like, well, they live in Arizona, so
2: everything is white. Yeah, that that <laughs> was that was the primary okay. reason behind it was that, you know, when we're out off-roading, we are oftentimes hoofing it up and down, you know, steep grades you know stacking rocks for friends and stuff to help them get up the trail Mm -hmm. and if it's a white shirt you're more likely to wear it out on the trail so that when there's photos being taken and stuff you know more likely to see our logo yeah yeah Yeah. especially the double
1: xl on my fatness <laughs> very, big, very big billboard in the back of the pictures.
2: Man, I had no idea uh shirt sizing stuff. I'm just not good with that sort of thing. So the first run I ever made, I think I had like smalls, medium and larges made and yep. people were you know, I was getting messages every single day, Hey where, you got extra large, you got double XL? I'm like
1: nope. No <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um uh, I guess it all depends on what you're used to buying, so you know, I'm I'm not a double XL usually, I'm an X L but you know, sometimes And you get a double XL and it still fits. So it's all good to go. And
2: I'm like a shmedium. So I have like no real reference of what sizes are.
1: (laughs) Right. So thanks for joining
2: us tonight, Josh. I had a blast. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, So you
1: can,
0: uh, yeah, you want to plug your company and social media?
2: Uh, You can find us on Adventure Driven Design on Facebook or Instagram. Um, We do have the website Adventure Driven Design. And you can follow that to a forum where we're populating Mitsubishi Tech. Um, that's designed to be the end-all-be-all Montero, Mitsubishi tech area. And we're going to be building a Wikipedia based off of that, so we hope to have a very comprehensive walkthrough on the Montero and you know Mighty Max platforms. Uh, so that's one place to look for us. You know, really good. If you're looking for me, you can find me running around the web as Incorporated X. And if you're looking for Adam, you can find him as Toasty Montero on Facebook. He doesn't really get too into social media. He's gotten on Facebook, and Facebook has gotten its hooks into him, and it's almost overwhelming for him, but he's having fun with it. (laughs) He's, He's on Instagram too, though, is he not? Uh, he wa- he, yeah. he gets on and off it. You know, there's only okay. so much of it he can handle. Yeah. The For whatever reason, the entire Arizona crew is very much away from social media. You know, I've been pushing Kevin. You know, he's one of the guys that has probably the most built Montero, especially he's got all of our components on it. I'm like, man, if you got, you know, Instagram or Facebook, it would really be nice because people are looking for you out there. They always ask about your truck whenever it shows up in photos, and yep. it's like pulling teeth. You can't get him to sign up for that stuff.
0: Hmm. Well, some people are about doing it like in real life and then some people are like pretending not that we pretend but you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. people like to show off more than what they we actually just, do we just
1: throw mud in our trucks and take pictures yeah
2: yeah but,
0: <laughs> but, but no, no it's no, fun just... it has its, its place and then there's times when it's also fun though when we're way out doing stuff and there's no cell service and you just hang out with each other and ignore the rest of the world so that's you know
2: yeah that's a you know, it takes you back to the nineties. Like, what a what a concept! Communicating with the people in the immediate yeah. Uh, presence.
0: Yeah, like when we use CBs and trucks to talk to each other while we're off road. We're like, oh, this this I get it now. This is why our parents were into CBs. Like, this yeah. is super easy to use. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. And it's,
2: it's kind of fun. A lot of fun too. Yeah. But uh, yes,
1: yeah, so thanks for joining us. So follow Josh at those places. Uh, as always, follow the podcast at Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. Yep. Uh, Auto Off Topic on Instagram.
0: Uh, where can you find yourself, Andrew? find me uh, race and Anger on Instagram, it I believe I'm also Race and Anger on Flickr. Yes you are. Yes, it's been a while since I looked at what the username is. I just upload photos there. I added some climb of the cloud photos. I haven't posted them to Facebook yet. I got tired the other night and needed to go to bed.
1: I have seen them. they're good.
0: Yep, so I've got those are coming. Uh, I have a write-up of it coming for right foot down, I'm finishing up a draft. Uh, and as always, you can, uh, email us autoftopic at gmail.com. If you want to complain about anything we said or, uh, want to compliment us
1: or even you want to be a guest, give us a, give yeah. us a buzz and maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have you on sometime too. I did send out some stickers to folks. Yes. We got a couple more requests for stickers actually. Yep. Did Josh, did you uh, request any stickers?
2: I sent my address to Andrew a couple days ago, actually. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Excellent.
0: He missed the first run. So I was waiting for a couple more people. To send stuff
1: in. I'm gonna next do another. I saw we had our first because grouping. we 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 do ask that anybody who gets a sticker, you know, we're not charging you for the sticker or yeah. for the postage. If you just post a picture of it on social media yeah. on your vehicle, and then if you out. push the stuff, push stuff. So we got our first picture today, actually.
0: Yes. And if you use iTunes to listen to the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes because it really helps. And then of course share it. Uh, the podcast. Oops, just hit the phone.
1: And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Vintage Imports in New England. Yep. And our, my, our Instagram page is Vintage Imports NE. And our Facebook page is Vintage Imports New England. All right. Keep your cars analog.